for the past several weeks. We've studied through the book of Mark. And here we are in the final chapter, chapter 16, a chapter that is, um, it's interesting that some of the verses, starting in verse 9, don't appear in all the copies of the Gospel of Mark, which leads us to speculate that verse 9 and through 16 or so was added on uh, after Mark originally composed it. So there are... Uh, translations that, that include those of the footnote. Um, generally, everybody includes those verses, but it's just interesting that that could have been added on by another writer, and it could have been well after it was originally published, um, perhaps, you know, you know, 40 or 50 years later, maybe not that long, but we do see some manuscripts that have it, others that don't. Uh, but as we get into verse 9 through 16, we do see that most of the things mentioned there are things that were mentioned by other gospel writers. Um, so Mark, using Peter as his primary source, we believe, uh, tending to be very brief in his account. Uh, he, it's almost like you know, watching a movie and thinking, man, why did the story stop there? We need a sequel. And, and people get all excited when the sequel comes out because it felt like there was more story to tell. But remember, Mark was the earliest gospel, and he, he wanted to finish writing and get that published and sent out, because when Mark wrote it, there was no written gospel. Nobody had a gospel account of Jesus in writing. So he wanted to bring the story to a close, get to the point, and, and have that written record, because for a very long time, the gospel was a verbal gospel. And most of the people that were early Christians, they, some of them had seen Jesus with their own eyes, and they were the kind of the contemporaries of that generation, and they just spoke the gospel. They didn't need a written gospel. They had the Old Testament written down, but Mark is the first one to write it down, the gospel of the New Testament. And eventually the New Testament we have today got formulated as other gospels were written later, Matthew and John and Luke. And the book of Acts was written that recorded the early history of the church and all of Paul's letters and Peter's letters and John's letters were written and it formed the canon of the New Testament. So that's one reason, though, that Mark is, is he's the earliest written gospel, so it's also the briefest. He wanted to get the most important things down on paper so they would have a written record as the people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus were beginning to die off. And they didn't want to only have that verbal record. They wanted to have the scriptures, the written record. And aren't you glad that we have these words recorded for us? So understand there's a reason why Mark was brief. And apparently someone in the early church thought he was too brief. And later on, they kind of added on some verses to kind of give it the fullness that Matthew, Mark, and John did. That's at least one theory as to why we have verses 9 through 16. But they weren't in every copy of Mark. And some of the very earliest copies don't have those verses, which kind of makes you think, well, the early ones don't have it, and the later ones do have it, then it got added in at some point. So as we get into verse 9 and following, understand that those are some verses that weren't in every copy that we found of the Gospel of Mark. Um, but, again, as we get into it, I think we see that those, those verses, at least the ones we're going to study today, are not particularly problematic. There's not really any question about whether what they're saying is true. It's just interesting they weren't in every copy of the gospel. So we're going to study most of them. We're not going to get all the way through. Um, I think it's actually 20 verses in Mark chapter 16. We're going to go through the first 14, maybe take a look at verse 15, and see what kind of time we have. Probably won't have a lot of time at that point by the time we get there. But let's start off with these. Uh, before we get into it, let's just talk a little bit more about the chapter in general. Um, we're going to talk about... Three women visiting Jesus' tomb. This is right after the events of chapter 15 that Ken talked about in the prior session. And he talked about how Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. And we left the story off there. We're going to pick up right after. Jesus is going to be buried. He's going to be placed in the tomb. And three women are going to go and visit because um, after they, they had to wait till after the Sabbath day. And then they want to go anoint Jesus' body. And as we go through, we're going to see in the story that everyone is, is just kind of acting 
without any sense of expecting anything miraculous to happen. They're just kind of going through the motions of what they would normally do, grieving someone they've lost, and then surprising things begin to happen as we get into the story. And so we see the very first two appearances of Jesus after his resurrection are recorded here in Mark. And there's a lot more details in the other Gospels. Remember, the other writers had a lot more time to fill in all the details. Mark was kind of the rush job of let me, let's get the important part of the Gospel out, as we talked about. So he gets very brief mentions. So we can go to the other Gospel writers and learn a little bit more about these stories that we're going to study today. And then, uh, then at the last bit of the chapter, Jesus commissions the disciples, very similar to the commission we see in the book of Matthew, which is go and make the disciples of all nations. So three things to be thinking about today. Number one, how do the way the believers are behaving, their actions after Jesus' death, how does that validate the resurrection? Because what we're talking about today is the most important fact of Christianity, that Jesus got up out of that grave. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, and if Jesus isn't alive today, then this whole exercise of going to church and worship is pointless and even kind of silly. If it's not for the empty grave, we're no better than any other religious group or organization in the world. It's the fact that Jesus is alive that distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion and belief system. And in fact, you could argue that if Jesus isn't alive, that we fall kind of short in comparison with some other groups. Because basically we're a bunch of liars. If Jesus isn't alive and we're saying Jesus is risen, then we're, we're the worst of the worst. Because we're hypocrites and we're, 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 we're deceptive. And everything about Christianity kind of crumbles if it isn't on the foundation of Jesus is alive. So this is a really important discussion. It's really important for us to study and to kind of know what, what, what are our assurances that Jesus really is alive. Because that is the heart of the church. It's based on Jesus being alive. So we're going to talk about that today. So notice how people are behaving in the story. And how does that lead credence to the truth of the resurrection? Why is this so important? And then... What can we do in a world that's increasingly filled with unbelief? Do you think that's true? That our world is increasingly hostile and disinterested in faith. It's harder and harder to talk to people. Um, you know, you can think back, if we went back, I don't know, 60 years in America, then almost everybody would profess some level of belief in God. But that's not the case today. And some people, if you talk about God or the Bible, they just scoff and laugh because there's, there's a, there isn't that foundation of faith in our country in the modern day that there used to be for whatever reason. So it's, as we see, unbelief is a really big part of the story. Even in Jesus' day, a day filled with a temple that was busy and active in Israel, a day that was in a country that was filled with religious activity, and even in that setting, unbelief turns out to be a major issue in the story today. So I want you to notice that when we get to that. The resurrection proclaimed and confirmed. So that's going to be our, our lesson list that we're going to fill out today as we look at this story, which, which is titled Alive. And I've... So, kind of expanded that title, Jesus is Alive. That's what we're talking about here in Mark chapter 16. So four, uh, two points I've split into four different takeaways today as we get into these verses. So we're going to start now in verse 1. And oh, before we do that, let's back up a little bit because we left off in verse 39 of chapter 15 in the last lesson. And we're going to just go ahead and pick up right with verse 40, just to get a little bit of context. So instead of giving you a cross-reference after the verses, let's just go ahead and back up a little bit. And I decided to go ahead and read this out of the, the Christian standard, even though it's not going to be in your lesson books, if you have all those today. Um, just to be a little more consistent, I'm going to read it out of the Christian standard. So Mark chapter 
chapter 15, verse 40. This is right after Jesus dies on the cross. The centurion makes the pronouncement. Surely this was the Son of God. And here we are picking up the story there. There were also women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women followed him and took care of him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sabbath, I'm sorry, of the Sanhedrin, who is himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now you may be familiar with that story, how Joseph is going to bury Jesus in an unused tomb. It was Joseph's tomb that he owned for whatever reason. And he goes to Pilate and says, since Jesus is dead on the cross, allow me to bury him. The key I want you to see here is that these three women here are mentioned for a reason. They were witnesses of Jesus' death. And they're also going to be witnesses of his resurrection as we get into today's story. So understand that they were there the whole time. They saw the whole thing. They didn't just come on the scene. They weren't just hired to go anoint Jesus' body. They've been involved in his ministry for the last several years. They had been not only his followers, but notice his supporters, right, in verse 41. They were women of means. They were women who had resources. Their families were well-to-do, and they helped underwrite Jesus' ministry. They were kind of like we can be when we support a missionary who goes away and we contribute to the cooperative fund or, or to them individually. So they were taking up their resources, and they were helping Jesus and the disciples do their ministry. Because obviously Jesus and those disciples, they weren't fishing and selling fish, right, to sustain themselves. They were full-time doing what God had called them to do. So they, these were really important people. They were coming alongside Jesus and supplying things that they needed so they could preach the good news across the land. And as part of that, they were very invested in Jesus' ministry and obviously heartbroken about what had just happened at the cross. So there they are. And you notice here at the very end of chapter 15 in verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he was laid. So they see Jesus die. They see where Jesus is buried. When Joseph takes him, gets permission from Pilate and buries him. And now in chapter 16, they're coming back. So that's the context as we get into chapter 16. These three ladies, the two Marys and Salome, are coming back to the tomb. And you'll notice that in verse uh, 42 of chapter 15, it said, on the day Jesus died, that was Good Friday, the day before the Sabbath. And the Sabbath started at sundown on Friday, was the beginning of Saturday to the Jews. And it was the beginning of the Sabbath. It would not have been appropriate for these ladies to um, anoint Jesus' body at that point. Basically, Jesus is buried. The sun goes down. They don't have time to do anything in terms of preparing that body. The Jews would have been very, very diligent about preparing that body before it was buried. They would have cleaned it. They would have anointed it with oils and spices. So they had to wait a day to do that because Jesus died on a Friday. And so it's the Sabbath, and the work is supposed to be done on the Sabbath day, right? That was the Jewish command this is given the through Moses. That, uh, for the myrrh that was given to him when he was born was used. If his parents saved it, they might still have had it. However, it wasn't Mary, the mother of Jesus, who I does the anointing. It was different Mary. So I don't know if that murder got used here. I don't have any indication of that in the story. Mm -hmm. But that it would have been wise for them to save that if they realized that Jesus was going to die as prophesied. Well, let's jump into chapter 16 and see what we got here. But you're right. Myrrh is one of those fragrances that would have been used for burial. Right? So... Here we are in chapter 16 into our focus verses as they go uh, to seek Jesus. So when the Sabbath was over, all right, so here we are Sunday morning around sunrise. 
Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So they, they gather up their spices in the dark. They, they make their journey, you know, it's just, just as soon as the sun peaks over the horizon towards the tomb where they know Jesus was, was laid uh, 24 hours before, a little more than that. And the, they're going to anoint him. And they want to do this service to him out of love and devotion for all that Jesus had done, all the good works, all the people he healed. All the, all the teaching he had done, and, and they, they, they felt like it was their duty to do that. And they were very, very, they did it without hesitation. They absolutely knew what needed to be done, right? They had a servant's heart, didn't they? That they were going to go, um, maybe with some, you know, some obstacles in the way, and maybe a little bit of fear. Uh, like Jesus had just been killed by his political and religious enemies, so maybe there was some sense of danger. But they were going in the early morning. They were maybe going to have to contend with armed Roman guards outside this tomb. Um, but they went to do what needed to be done. And it seems like along the way, they don't even realize until they're already, they've gathered up the spices and they realize, wait a minute, that tomb was sealed with a big heavy stone. How are we going to get that out of the way so we can anoint him? They didn't really have a solution to the sound of it, did they? They're kind of talking about this as they're walking to the tomb, and then they arrive, and they notice, well, the stone's been rolled away. And to me, there's a lesson there that, you know, sometimes we just need to step out on faith, even though we don't have everything solved. Sometimes you just step out on faith, and God takes care of those details for you. If it's what God wants you to do, maybe God will roll away that stone for you, and you just do what God is telling you to do. And don't worry about it if you don't have all the details figured out yet. And I think there's a lesson there. Maybe that applies to our church as well. But here they are. And what a scene they arrive at. So already, you know, things are going surprisingly well. The stone that they were worried about, you know, these, are these three ladies really going to be able to push this giant boulder out of the way? Of the, of the tomb, but it's not even in there anymore. It's already been moved for them. So all the things they might have been worried about, um, it turns out the armed guards have been cleared out. It's not really mentioned in Mark. Mark's just kind of given us the most essential details here. But of the most essential details, that stone was one of them. And it being rolled away, it was the very first indication of Jesus' resurrection. The very first thing that we see that indicates, wait a minute, maybe Jesus isn't in that grave anymore, is the fact that that stone's been rolled away. That's interesting, isn't it? And the first glimmer of hope in the story, because there's nothing in this story, is there? They weren't expecting to find Jesus alive. Why would you bring all those spices and anoint a living body? They were expected, just they saw with their own eyes, that Jesus was still dead. So understand that. You know, people want to say, well, you know, this was just this. They had this plan all along that Jesus was going to pretend to die or something, and they were going to make up, or they were going to they were going to hide his body, and they were going to pretend he raised so they could go on, you know, and 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 have this, you know, new religious organization. But they're not acting like that. They're acting like Jesus is dead. They're not. They're acting like they're not expecting anything to happen here except to anoint. A dead body. And the fact is, like we talked about in, in the past, that the disciples, they should have known, but they didn't. They didn't understand that God's plan all along was for his son to die for our sins and then to rise up out of that grave. But that was the plan. But it wasn't some kind of trick. These ladies aren't here to deceive anybody. They're just here to anoint their dear friend who has passed away. And as far as all they know. So that's what we see here in this story. So they go to perform an anointing service, I'll call it. They're doing their duty. They're doing the service 
they're honoring their dead friend. And more than their friend, their minister, the one they had followed, they had invested in. They went to do that. But something is strange. The stone has been rolled away. And maybe there's more to this anointing service than they expected, as we see in these first couple of verses. All right. So let's roll into the story here. As we've already kind of read verse 4, the stones were rolled away, but that's not the only strange thing going on, is it? They're going to meet an angel. They weren't expecting that. So let's pick up the story here in verse 5. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb, because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. I can sometimes just kind of hear Peter's voice. I never heard Peter talk. He, he was off the scene long before we ever got to this world. But I can kind of just, you know, Peter had a, had a way of just saying things like they were. For good or bad, Peter was going to say something. And sometimes he put his foot in his mouth. But Peter here, he's not trying to paint these people in their best light. He's just telling you what happened. Peter's sharing the truth, warts and all. And these women, it, they didn't know what was going to happen, and they're just reacting like normal people would because they're normal people. As Christians, we got to remember that God doesn't expect us to be superstars, superhuman. He expects us to have emotions and to react to things and to sometimes just kind of fall apart like these ladies do, overwhelmed, at what they've seen. But you can see here, they were not expecting all that they encountered. And, and it's okay. Sometimes life throws us a curveball and we, and we swing and miss. And here, these ladies, they're, they're very clearly alarmed. Otherwise, the angel wouldn't tell them not to be alarmed. All right? So even though the stone's been rolled away, they're like, what is this young man doing here? And you can tell he's an angel, right? from the, the white robe, right? That this is exactly how angels appear, right? With, with the whiteness and the purity and the kind of glory around them. They can tell this is not just an ordinary, you know, young man just sitting there on, on the stone taking a break from a game of basketball or something or taking a rest on his journey. But there's something special about it. But notice the, the message that the, this angel has. You're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He knew a lot about them, right? Kind of indicating he has this kind of heavenly knowledge. This is not just some ordinary bystander they ran into on the side of the road. He knows exactly what, why they're there. And that Jesus had been crucified and that they're looking for him. And then notice the news there in verse 6. He has risen. He is not here. You're looking for the right guy in the wrong place. You're looking for a dead Jesus. There is no dead Jesus because Jesus is very much alive. And that stone was rolled away, not so much that Jesus could get out, but so the disciples coming later and these ladies who arrived first on the scene could see that Jesus is not there. They could see for themselves that the tomb was empty. And he's just kind of sitting there off to the side. I can imagine this guy kind of like just propped up, you know, next to the tomb. Hi, ladies. Did you notice Jesus in here? You thought he'd be here, didn't you? You forgot everything he said about what he was going to do on the third day. Well, here it is the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Jesus is not here. And although you should have realized what he was saying, you didn't. But now you can see with your own eyes, Jesus is not here. And so this exciting news they're still trying to process it because they weren't expecting it, right? You can tell that this was not some kind of elaborate story that was planned in advance because nobody saw it coming. Nobody expected it. 
right? Nobody expects the 27-yard or 31-yard, you know, touchdown pass on fourth down, but sometimes it happens, all right? And here it is. Nobody is expecting this, even though Jesus had told them. We're going to go back and look and remind ourselves that Jesus told them, I will, I will rise on the third day. But nobody understood what he was talking about it because nobody could really face the fact that Jesus was going to die on the cross. And once that happened, it seemed so final because they didn't understand what God was up to. But now the truth begins to dawn on them, the angel telling them directly, and can we just take a step back and talk about this meeting of an angel here by these three ladies? And can we remind ourselves that God often picks the least likely people to be his messengers? You ever feel like maybe, like, God, what, what do you expect me to do? I'm just a, I'm just a so-and-so. I have this really ordinary job, or I'm retired, or I'm X number of years old, and what do you want to do with me? But here's these ladies, and although they were ladies of means, as we've talked about, you remember the last time angels showed up in the story of Jesus? It was way back at the beginning, wasn't it? What else was announced by angels besides Jesus' resurrection? His birth. His birth. And who did Jesus, who did the, who did the, did the angels show up to the Magi? The Magi figured out he was coming and saw the star, but the angels never showed up to the Magi. They showed up to who? Mary the mother. Mary the mother, yes, and shepherd. Now, were shepherds like really popular and esteemed in Israel's culture? They were nobodies. They were unclean. They were weirdos. They were outcasts. And notice it's not the disciples that the angels appear to first, but it's these women who would easily be overlooked. They were behind the scenes. They didn't get the attention. Nobody would recognize them, like some people might have recognized Peter and James and John. But it was these women that you know could have easily been overlooked, not as highly esteemed, perhaps, in Israel's culture. And they were the ones who the angel appears to. And they're the first ones to hear about the good news. So they're frightened, overwhelmed, surprised. And the angel also appeared to Joseph to say it was all right to marry her. He did. He did appear to the parents, for sure. He said to Joseph. Right. Did. Right. Yeah. Joseph as well as Mary. Yeah, yeah, I got you. You're right about that. But I wanted to make the parallel between yeah. these women right here and the shepherds. Yeah. That God is picking kind of the people who seem like on the outside, like maybe, you know, overlooked. And he's the one that he specifically sends an angel to to notify about the good news. So if you feel like you're a small person in God's kingdom, God may not see it that way. He may see you as one of the most important people. And he might prioritize what you're doing. So don't overlook what you don't think you're too small to serve God. The shepherds weren't too small to receive the message. And neither were these women who were working behind the scenes using the resources they had. They were not the apostles or the disciples, but they're the ones that the angel shows up to, and they're the very first ones to know that Jesus is alive. So they are entrusted with this message. They haven't gone to school for it. They, they are a little overwhelmed by the whole situation, but they're the ones that God says, he is not here. See the place where they put him. And they're entrusted to go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. Now, why do you think Peter gets mentioned by name? He probably would have felt left out because of what he had already done. And what, what has Peter just done? Well, maybe we're going to go read about it. Let's talk about that. Now, the women run out. They're overwhelmed at first. They say nothing to anyone since they're afraid. I think eventually, of course, they must have told their story, right? Because Mark wrote it down. So they must have told eventually. But at first, they're so amazed, they just go running out of the tomb. They don't know what to do at first. They're just overwhelmed by this news. But we're going to see that Mary Magdalene is going to go back to the tomb. At this point, they've heard the message of the angel, but nobody's seen Jesus yet. Keep that in mind. That's going to change as we go through the story here. Let's go back to Mark 14, and here's why Peter gets mentioned. As we go back to some of the verses um, that I don't know if we actually studied these uh, two sessions ago on Mark 14. I think actually we missed the opportunity to study that because we had something going on. So I don't think we had a session on Mark 14. 
This is them after the Passover meal. And they've gone out and they're at the Garden of Gethsemane or they're on their way there. They sing a hymn. They go out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says to them in verse 27 of chapter 14, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So before Jesus is arrested, before the crucifixion, before Jesus dies, he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. So he kind of says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to raise up. He's speaking of his resurrection from the dead. And then I'm going to meet with you guys in Galilee. All right. So he's basically saying, whatever happens, don't worry. I'm going to rise up and we're going to meet again in Galilee. He told them that before anything happened. So he's been telling them this all along. But this is also the part of the story where Peter says, don't worry, Lord. If everybody else abandons you, I'll never abandon you. I'm going to be faithful to you from beginning to end. And Jesus says, not so fast, Peter, right? In verse 30, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. So we're going to see how this goes. You're talking a pretty bold talk, but it's not going to go quite the way you planned, Peter. So Peter does go on and deny him, and you can read the rest of Mark chapter 14 and 15. You all, a lot of you know the story that Peter does. I never, I, I never heard of this Jesus because he's trying, he's trying to kind of act like he's undercover, right? He's trying to watch the trial of Jesus from afar, and people keep recognizing Peter's out, uh, his accent that he's one of these Galileans that probably came down to Jerusalem with Jesus, and he ends up denying he even knows him three times. So Peter has the guilt of that on him, on top of all the, the, the crushing sorrow of seeing Jesus die on the cross. And so Peter gets a special invitation here when the angel gives the news. Although it appears to the women, Peter is specifically called out. Let Peter know I'm alive. Because Peter was there at this time, and Peter has disappointed in his mind the Lord. He didn't really disappoint the Lord because the Lord knew he was going to do it. And that's another comfort, right? Before we ever falter and fail, Jesus knows that we're going to fail. And he still called us to be his witnesses and his representatives and his followers. Isn't that nice to know? That we don't have to be perfect for God to use us. We don't have to be perfect for God to not only admit he knows us, but call us by name and call us into his service. So perfection is not required to be a Christian, and that's very comforting. So Peter gets a special mention there, but we see as the women go to do this anointing service, they find this astonishing sight. Stone rolled away, angel announcing, Jesus is not here. Jesus is risen just like he told you two chapters ago in our book. I will rise, and I will see you in Galilee. So here we are. Jesus did his part of the bargain. He's risen. And the women, again, they weren't expecting it. They didn't understand it. But they've seen it now with their own eyes. And they've been charged to share the message with the others. All right. So already amazing things have been seen here. An empty tomb. Angel appearance. Stone rolled away. The angel was the second sign that Jesus is risen. But there's a better sign yet to come. And that's what we see uh, next here in the story, the next part of our verses as we finish up the lesson today are Jesus appearing in person after the crucifixion. So the best proof that Jesus is risen is when he shows up himself. And that happened the first two times we're going to talk about. Before Jesus ever appears to the disciples, he appears in two other places. One of them is here at the tomb. And one of them is walking on the road to a town called Emmaus. So we're going to look at those here as we get to the rest of these verses here. Now I have these in the talents because like we said, these are verses that seem to have been added to the Gospel of Mark later on to kind of complete the story. So when Mark originally wrote it, apparently he stopped with verse 8. He just let the angel do the talking. But here, we add on some details that we do find collaborated 
uh, and confirmed by the Gospel of, of Mark, uh, Matthew, I mean, and, and Luke and John. In fact, we're going to refer to some of those for some more details. But here in verse 9, in the additions to the Gospel of Mark, early on the first day of the week, after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. After this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country. And they went and reported it to the rest, who did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. So verse 14, I actually have coming up here a little later on. But here, as just a very brief summary of some of the things we see in the other Gospels, what happened after the angel appeared? Jesus himself appeared, like we were talking about. And the first person in all the Gospel accounts to see Jesus alive is Mary Magdalene. So I don't know if she's one of those three women that we just saw who went to the tomb, saw it was empty, were shown it by the angel. They all kind of run away, but I think Mary comes back to the tomb. She doesn't know what to do. She goes back to the tomb to inspect it a little bit. And instead of meeting an angel, she meets Jesus himself, right? It says it right here. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Now, if you were with us when we studied the book of John, we saw the full details of that meeting. We're going to go look at that again here this morning. And then we'll, we'll talk briefly. The, the next appearance in verse 12 is recorded in detail in the book of Luke. And that is the one where Jesus is, is there's two disciples walking on the road. And Jesus kind of comes alongside them, and they don't recognize him. And that's one thing about these two stories. Notice in verse 12, it says he appeared in a different form. So Jesus appears, and people don't recognize him at first. There's something different about him, or somehow they're kept from recognizing him until a certain moment of the story. That's what we see in that story of the Emmaus Road. We don't have time to study both of these in detail, so I'm going to focus on Mary Magdalene this morning. But I'll give you the reference for where to find the story of the Gospel of Luke about the, the two disciples walking on the road who don't recognize Jesus until they arrive at their destination, this town of Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they actually stop. And as they, they stop to have a little, a little meal when they arrive at their destination, and Jesus breaks the bread. Remember that story? And then they recognize, you're Jesus. And he disappears from sight, and they they book it back to Jerusalem. They just walked seven miles. It was a pretty long journey. I imagine I'd be pretty tired. They weren't tired anymore. They ran all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And the one thing that's a little hard to kind of um, reconcile here is in Mark's account, when they report to the rest of the people, they don't believe that they saw Jesus. In, in Luke's account, by the time they talk to the disciples, they've already seen Jesus, and they do believe him. So there's something there that apparently the people they're talking to here in the book of Mark in verse 13 are not the same crowd they're talking to in the book of Luke. Because it's apparently they, at first they told people who didn't believe him, later on they told people and they did believe their account. Because by then the news of Jesus' resurrection had spread. And But just notice the, the thing here. In verse 11 and verse 13, when... Mary and then these two disciples walking on the road first tell people that they had seen Jesus. Nobody believes them. It was like news that was too good to be true. Let's go back and look at, at, at well, before we go look at Mary's story, because Mary's story um, is, is, is a very touching story, as you might remember. And, and again, it has this thing in common that Mary doesn't recognize him at first. Remember, Mary thinks he's the gardener. That he's come maybe just to kind of tend the area around the tomb. He's like the landscaper or something that she thinks he is and doesn't recognize him at first either. But just notice that at first people had a hard time believing the story. And that's going to come up when we get to verse 14 again, right? And Jesus kind of rebukes them 
Like, why didn't you believe when people told you I was alive? I told you I was going to be alive. People told you I was alive. Why are you so slow to believe? And it just takes us to the idea. It's hard to believe. Believing is hard. As we wonder sometimes when we share the gospel why people don't want to accept it, we need a reminder, I think, as our culture is growing darker, that not everybody's going to believe the story. That believing that it's hard to believe, and we ought to be really thankful that God gave us grace to believe. Because not everybody believes the message. And all the things I'm the most thankful of during this season of Thanksgiving is that God opened my heart to believe the gospel. Because think of all the people you know who just never believed in Jesus. And think of all the things that we have as believers that they don't have because they won't believe. And as sad as that is and tragic it is on the flip side for someone not to believe and accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus came to provide. Because if you don't believe that Jesus rose out of the grave, you have no part in that forgiveness of sins. You have no peace with God and you don't have all the things that we enjoy as believers. You don't have access to that peace and that grace and that forgiveness if you don't believe that Jesus got up out of that grave. So the flip side is the tragedy of those who don't believe. But, I mean, that's the, the first thing we often think about. But now let's think about the gratitude for us that did believe. That because we did such a simple, seemingly simple thing as believe, we have access to that peace and grace and forgiveness. But is it because, you know, we just have the super strong faith? Yeah, I believed in Jesus because I'm so great. No. It's that God gave us grace to believe and accept the story. And even the people in the story have a hard time believing it at first. Again, it's like a story too good to be true. And at first, they, they can't even bring themselves to, to believe it. The ones that hear about it, they have to see it to believe it. We'll come back to that in just a minute here. Well, let's take a look more at the story going over to John chapter 20, where we see some of the details that Mark has left out. And just to remind you of the story, in John chapter 20, verse 11, we're just going to read through verse, well, actually going to read all the way through verse 18. But here's what that story says. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So here, maybe instead of circling back, Mary just stood there while the other two ladies left. All is confused about what they see. The angel, the stones that rolled away, Jesus isn't here. What could all this mean? He says, Jesus is alive. What's up with that? And she saw, it says, she saw two angels sitting where Jesus had lain. So maybe another angel has shown up now, compared to when Mark was describing the story. I don't know. And they said, women, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. She's all confused, right? She's overwhelmed, like we saw in the story of Mark about what's, she's still processing what's happened. Having said this, she turned around and noticed this in verse 14. She saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? And by the way, that would have been a really, really tender word, I think. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She just wants Jesus' body so she can anoint him. She's so fixated on the task he came to do, isn't she? She wants to honor her dead friend. <laughs> But he's not dead. In fact, he's talking to her right now. Isn't that ironic? Jesus said to her, Mary. And the moment he said her name, like the breaking of the bread in the other story that Mark references, she suddenly realizes that it's Jesus. She turns and says, Rabboni, meaning teacher in Aramaic. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And she went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. What an amazing story. What an amazing Easter morning that Mary Magdalene had. She was confused. She saw the sign. She didn't understand it. She couldn't bring herself to believe. And then Jesus is right there and appears in person and says her name. And suddenly she realizes that he's alive. And then she goes and tells and isn't that the calling we have as every believer? However long it took us to come to faith, and however long ago that might have been, that now, like Mary, we have to tell people. 
that we've seen the Lord. And they may or may not accept that message at first. It may be hard for them to believe it. But that's how the message gets passed on, isn't it? When we tell people that we've come to realize that Jesus is alive and all the promises he ever told are true, and we're in on all this, and that salvation is a free gift if we just believe in Jesus who died on the cross for us. It won't always be accepted. But once we come to faith, it is our duty, even more so than the duty that Mary had of anointing the body of Jesus that she thought was still in that tomb, to pass on that faith to people who may or may not receive the message. Let's look at verse 14 again. Um, but first, notice that these, these witnesses had to overcome what me, we have to overcome today more and more in our culture. And adamant skepticism. Adamant meaning stubborn. And skepticism meaning unbelief. It took them a while to realize Jesus was alive, and then they told people they didn't even believe in it at first. And we saw that in both of these stories. But that's more and more true today, right? You tell people about Jesus, and they, they think it's a fairy tale. They don't believe. But we're, although we are serving the Lord and seeking to honor him, although we have seen amazing things like Mary has in the scriptures, we too will face that same skepticism in the world. Don't let it stop you from sharing the gospel, though. Because it's still as true as it ever was. However, it may or may not be received. So we're going to face that skepticism. But there's one more thing we ought to finish up with. So Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves, rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. They were slow to believe. We might have been slow to believe. The world is slow to believe. And Jesus said, you need to believe. And then he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Isn't it ironic that these disciples were slow to believe and then they were tasked to tell the message to others and make, so that they would believe? And they were going to face the same kind of skepticism, the same kind of slowness to believe. And I want to finish up going back to the gospel of John. Because here we just see the difficulty of belief. It's not as easy to believe. Maybe we forgot how hard it was for us to believe the message. And we see today how hard it is for people to just accept the Bible as true. And that's why we got to encourage people, invite them to Bible study, and have them get in and see for themselves that it's true. That's the only way we're going to combat the spiritual darkness in America today. But look with me in John chapter 20, back to that same chapter. We saw the story of Mary Magdalene finally realizing it was Jesus there at the tomb. She was the first to see him. We talked about the Emmaus Road where they didn't realize it was Jesus at first. What about Thomas? Remember how Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples? He was when we just read and when Jesus appeared to the eleven. That would have included Thomas. The only one missing is Judas, the traitor, who's already gone and hanged himself in this one. But John records two visits by Jesus. And the first one, John, is Thomas isn't there. John is there both times. Thomas isn't there the first time he comes back. And remember how Thomas says, I won't believe unless I can see his, the nail prints in his hands. And when he comes back, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here in my hands and see. Uh, put your hand in my side. And do not disbelieve, but believe. And in this story, there's two things we want to walk away with. Jesus is risen, and we must believe it. Jesus is risen, and we must believe it. That is the charge that we have. And then we need to tell others so that they may believe. And notice this in verse 29. After Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God, Thomas' doubts are gone. But he also had the privilege of seeing Jesus in person. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Look at this last line. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you have believed, even though you've never seen Jesus in person, you are blessed. Because not everybody makes that choice. Not everybody can believe. Not everybody can overcome the skepticism. And we should thank God every day that we have that faith. Because not everybody comes to faith. Not everybody hears the story, accepts it, and believes it. 
Aren't you thankful that you believed it? Aren't you thankful you have access to the joy and the peace and the hope that we have in a risen Lord? And how we long for others to have that same experience. But they have to believe. They have to overcome unbelief, just like Thomas had to, just like Mary Magdalene had to, just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus had to, just like these 11 disciples had to overcome and finally accept that Jesus was alive. That is such an important decision in a person's life. But how blessed are we who have not seen Jesus was blessing you and me when he said that. In the presence of the 11 disciples, he was thinking about us who would only have the written record of the scriptures and yet would choose to believe in him. And we will see him one day, even though we haven't seen him yet. But what a, what a statement. Blessed are those who have not seen him yet have believed. Well, that wraps things up with this important truth. And the important truth is the following. We have an affirmed Savior. His resurrection was announced by angels. It was confirmed by several in-person visits. You can go and see also 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul talks about all the many witnesses of Jesus being alive. We have to depend on their testimony, but we know that Jesus is alive. The evidence is given to us in the scriptures, and the testimony has been given. We know Jesus is alive, and we got to let other people know he's alive too, and that he is the only hope this world has. As we go into the Christmas season, as we at this time are looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus, we let people know how important he is. Not just a little baby that appeared in a manger, but the God man, God's representative, who got up out of the grave. And that is where our hope lies in the empty tomb and in Jesus that's alive today to hear our prayers and receive in heaven for us. Aren't you glad you have that hope today? That is our hope. The risen, affirmed Savior, Jesus. So as you serve him, think about what you've seen. As we overcome our own and the skepticism of others, we have to point everyone to the Savior and his hope that they will find the faith to believe in him. All right? We will be transitioning to a new study. That's it for Mark. He finishes with the crescendo. The resurrection of Jesus and how it was had overcome all the doubt until they finally dawned on him that it was true. He was alive and he was the Messiah. We're going to be going back to the beginning of the story. Our next lessons will be in the book of Genesis. We're going to talk about the first week of the entire creation. We're going to talk about the first couple that ever had a marriage squabble. We're going to talk about Adam and Eve after that. So those are the next two weeks coming up. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Let's wrap up and pray as we are always running out of time. Lord, thank you that you are alive and you are hope. Help us to carry that with us and help us just to share that important truth with boldness and assurance, knowing that it is difficult for people to come to faith. It's difficult for people to believe such amazing news that Jesus is alive today. But you are. And we have that hope. Give us confidence and boldness and courage to share it with the world that desperately needs to know that you are alive. And bless our worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, John. Hey, John, why do you think these writers are writing?